Welcome to the EAST Career Podcast, brought to you from the EAST Careers and Trauma Committee. I am Jamie Coleman from Indiana University. In this session, we are pleased to have Dr. Michael Pasquale here with us to discuss how to maintain a healthy division. Dr. Pasquale is the chairman of the Department of Surgery at Lehigh Valley Hospital in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Previously, Dr. Pasquale served as the chief of the Division of Trauma and Surgical Critical Care from 1996 to 2011. Dr. Pasquale has been an active member of EAST since 1994 and served as a past president. He has made numerous contributions to the field of trauma and surgical critical care with over 100 journal articles and book chapters. Dr. Pasquale, thank you for sitting down with us today. Thank you. Thank you. As someone who was a division chief for 15 years and now as chairman of surgery, you clearly know how to navigate the sometimes rough waters of academic medicine. As the chairman of surgery, what characteristics do you look for in a division chief? In other words, could you please describe your perfect candidate for that role? Sure. Um, I, I think the the biggest thing uh, that I'm looking for is uh, someone with leadership quality. And the way that... Uh, we look for leadership quality uh, is a little different than I think the way we used to. Uh, one of the things, uh, obviously, is clinical competence because I think it's it's vitally important that the members of the division respect uh, their leader from a clinical standpoint and understand that this person uh, can take care of patients. Uh, not only in the ICU, but also in the operating room. And I think that's <clears throat> largely been the, the, the major uh, quality that folks have looked at for years. In addition, in addition however, the, the, I, I guess the biggest change uh, uh, that we've implemented over the past oh, five to eight years is really looking for somebody with emotional intelligence as well. And that is someone, uh, obviously, that has good self-awareness. They understand not only what their strengths are, but what their weaknesses are and, and where they have opportunities to improve. And in that way, um, it helps them with not only their self-management, but the management of others. Uh, so if they're, if they're you know, truly self-aware, they know, uh, you know what, those, what those weaknesses are when they're dealing with the other members of their division. So I think those are those are the big qualities. Uh uh I'm also looking for somebody that's uh willing to to lead by example. Uh again, I think that's important for the other members. Uh they're going to uh certainly look up to uh their leader uh and a lot of times they're going to emulate the practice of that leader. So so I think that um uh clinical competence, emotional intelligence and a leadership style uh, that uh, lends itself to to a, a lead by example, uh, with obviously um, uh, someone who who takes time to listen uh, to to the other members. That's, that's kind of what I'm looking for. And how do you go about assessing them in candidates for their clinical competence and emotional intelligence? Is this by your interactions with them or reputation? So I, I think it's it's becomes really important when you start to uh, assess them clinically because this is a, this is a key piece. So uh, obviously it's very difficult to assess a surgeon by by interview only, right. uh, interview with them. So 
we do we do two other things. We obviously look for uh, references, uh, folks that have worked with uh, that person uh, uh, in the operating room. So we'll look for uh, references from other surgeons, uh, references from anesthesia uh, uh, people that have worked with that uh, surgeon. Uh, as well as uh, uh, residents or any other references that they may want to provide us with. The other thing that we do is uh, I will uh, go out and watch them operate. Uh, so if I'm recruiting somebody, I'll set up a time uh, to go in and observe them uh, in the operating room uh, doing cases. And I think that you know you can glean a tremendous amount from that, and I, I would strongly encourage uh, that uh, practice to someone who's recruiting because it gives you a really good idea um, uh, of how that person functions, uh, not necessarily only technically, but also what's what's their relationship and how do they conduct themselves uh, in the operating room. For someone who is early in their academic career but aspires to become a division chief, what are some ways in which they can prepare for that role? Uh, always say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I say it jokingly, but I think that um, what, what I tell uh, what I tell our our young uh, folks when, we, when we're trying to recruit them is that uh, my job uh, and the job of uh, their division uh, leaders is to provide them with opportunities to succeed, uh, and those opportunities come about. Uh, they come about simply by by starting your practice. And there will be uh, opportunities given to them to do things outside of uh, the normal clinical routine. <clears throat> Sometimes those opportunities will be identified by interests that they have, uh, such as a particular research interest perhaps or an interest in quality. Uh, other times uh, they'll be asked, hey, would you mind, would you mind helping uh, on, this, on this task? And again, my recommendation is say yes. Uh, there's there's uh, take advantage of the opportunities that are given to you and provided to you because, number one, you're going to learn something, and number two, it's going to demonstrate that you are a person who wants to uh, to do these things and who wants to improve themselves. Um, and we try to set up a five-year plan uh, with, our, with our young uh, uh, surgeons, and by that what I mean is that we – want to provide them opportunities in the first five years so that at that five-year mark, they feel comfortable uh, looking for either associate chief or division chief roles and titles, uh, and other institutions feel that they're viable candidates for those positions. And then our job becomes trying to convince them not to take those positions. <laughs> uh, and that gets into a whole new uh, uh, bit of discussions. But that's that's really what what I try to do is is tell them in five years you should be ready to take on a leadership position. And my job in five years is going to be to try to make sure I can keep you. Now you mentioned emotional intelligence as one of the key factors um, in being a good leader. How do you go about encouraging the development of emotional intelligence in your young faculty? Are there books yeah. that you recommend? Is this through mentorship? How do you get yeah, well, young faculty to develop a good emotional intelligence? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, what we've been fortunate, what we've developed at our in our network is uh, what's called the Institute for uh, Health Leadership. And what I try to do is uh, 
uh, get uh, our young guys into that course. It's a it's a you know it's a network course where they are provided just the things that you mentioned. They are provided a mentor. Uh, they are provided didactic sessions uh, supplemented by readings so that they can learn uh, more about. Uh, uh, leadership and emotional intelligence and how those two are, you know, kind of interchanged with one another. Um, and it also, along with that, the other component is, you know, which is particularly important today, is kind of some lean training so they, they understand the concepts uh, and principles of lean. So we really try to get uh, our young folks uh, in those first couple years into that uh, that course uh, so that they can <clears throat> learn more about it and understand you know, why we do things the way we do. Now, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself as a newly appointed division chief? If I could go back in time. Oh, I hate these questions. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, as a newly appointed division chief. So um, number one, I guess, would be uh, don't react. Uh, uh, I think early on, uh, I, I actually was appointed division chief early in my career, and you know, it's, there's never a perfect time, and uh, uh, we'd all like to pick out that time when we when we take over, and that's not usually how it works. Uh, I got kind of thrust into the situation, and I uh, told uh, uh, my mentor, who was our division chief, who had uh, decided to leave, that I needed two more years. I needed him to stay two more years. <laughs> <laughs> but he obviously that wasn't going to work out, and uh, uh, so I kind of got pushed into it a little bit early. And I think early in my career, I tended to be a little more reactive uh, as opposed to thinking things through. Uh, I think that you have to have an understanding that, uh, and it took me a little while to, to, to get this, but but once you get it, it, it really helps you out. Um, you're not the only person that gets up in the morning and wants to do a good job. Uh, everybody wants to do a good job. And you have to approach people with that mentality. Um, the other thing is probably uh, early on in my career, I could have been more collaborative. I think one of the strengths of our department right now is the, um, and our administration, to be honest with you, is uh, there. There is a zero tolerance for 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 non collaboration. Uh, the expectation is that across departments you'll collaborate to do what's best for the patient. And to do what's best for the uh, for the network. Early on, probably uh, more of a, uh, a rebel, independent uh, kind of guy. And I, I, if I had to do over again, I wish I would have uh, probably implemented uh, that type of thinking a little earlier in my career. What is a common mistake, or what are some common mistakes that you think people new to leadership positions make? Oh, I think uh, I think probably. Uh, one of the uh, one of the most common mistakes is uh, to think that because uh, you have the title, you're a leader. <laughs> I think that uh, uh, being a leader is much more than a title, uh, and I think that you have to understand that even though you have the title, it's 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 you know you have to work daily uh, to earn that title, and I think sometimes uh, uh, you forget that uh, and. Uh, you know, I think a, a good leader really, truly does look at opportunities not only to improve their division, which should be a daily thought, how can I improve my division, but you also look for how can you promote your people uh, and how can you get them involved. Uh, and what, what what I've tried to do is not only involve uh, our folks in the in the trauma division, 
but get them get them involved hospital wide because again that that furthers and uh, gives them more opportunities to collaborate, meet people, uh, and understand where where other people are coming from. So I think that would be probably one of the more common mistakes is to think that uh, because you've got the title you're a leader and then not really to focus on on uh, earning uh, that title and really looking to promote your, your division and your people within your division. And how do you keep the division and how do you keep the troops happy? So in other words, you've described where you're really trying to build your young faculty up, give them leadership skills. You've done that. Now you've got a wonderful division full of well-trained people. How do you retain your faculty? How do you keep them happy in the roles that they are in? Yeah, I, I think that the um, – so, so, so you have to be transparent, uh, and you, you have to be uh, uh, willing to share uh, with them uh, your thoughts and your ideas, and you have to be willing to listen uh, uh, to comments about those, even if they may be negative comments. But transparency is key, uh, I think, to your to the folks that you're working with. So they they have to understand that uh, you're not trying to hide anything, and uh, you know uh, understand your vision uh, for for the division uh, and your goals. <clears throat> so that means you have to create a vision and you have to create goals, uh, and you have to share those. So I think one way is uh, creating that vision, sharing it with uh, the members, getting their input, modifying it appropriately. And then really uh, referring back to that division as you, I mean, excuse me, that vision as you develop uh, uh, expectations, as you develop expectations for for the folks uh, that are working with you. And along with that uh, has to come an understanding that if that vision is realized, if those expectations are met, that there's reward for that. And that reward comes in many ways. Uh it may come in, you know, uh, compensation. It may come in um, notoriety. It may come in uh, some additional time to attend meetings and uh, or additional uh, funding to support coursework for them and support their growth. Uh, so I, I think that's really uh, uh, what it comes down to is, you know, at, at the end of the day, people have to understand that you have a vision it's fairly clear their expectations are understood and they understand that if they if they do this and they're uh and the division's successful they're going to be successful it may not be immediately but it's going to happen and you know appropriate re- rewards for for meeting those and again i think that uh uh allowing them to grow not only within the division but outside of the division uh, I think you know that that's what we've tried to do, and you know we've been we've been very happy with uh, uh, with our retention. We haven't had we haven't had too many folks leave to take lateral positions. We've had you know we've had some folks leave to take uh, directorships and associate directorships, but not not to leave uh, to make a lateral move. And leading into that, recruiting is clearly a key piece of the job as chief of a division. What advice do you have in regards to recruiting a good fit for your individual division, and how do you assimilate the new people? So, <clears throat> the fit is is really important because uh, all groups are different. Uh, they have, you know, again, they 
the leadership and the group may have uh, different visions, and I think it becomes really important uh, when you're bringing somebody in uh, uh, to share some of those thoughts with them and, and get an idea <clears throat> of what they're looking for, uh, make an assessment to see if that if that fits into into where you know where you want to go. Really important that they meet all the members uh, of the of the division. Uh, we try to get them not only to meet all the docs, but we also try to have them meet the nurses and our nursing leadership, uh, our coordinator, uh, and even some of our residents to try to get a, a, a feel. Uh, one, of the, <laughs> it, I can tell you from from our surgeon recruitment, the most important interaction we've found is the interaction with the secretaries in the medical staff office. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they will tell you right away if they think it's a good person or a bad person, just on how they interact when they uh, on the phone with them, and uh, when they come in to uh, do their credentialing work, which is a marker for how they interact with people <clears throat> when they're not trying to put anything on for you know a department chair or a division chief. Uh, so I think get, getting them to see as many people as they can, uh, and getting that group together uh, to uh, to uh, to discuss them. We also have a pretty vigorous uh, internal recruiting process where our, our physician recruiters will sit with them before we begin a recruitment and we'll tell them what we're looking for uh, in a candidate. And they will actually uh, do a lot of the initial screening of candidates based on what we're looking for, based on applications, and then based on their assessment after they do about an hour phone interview with these folks before we even bring them in. So it's it's kind of that combination. Well, let's say the new person turns out not to be a great fit, or you inherited a quote-unquote problem child from your predecessor. Yeah. How do you handle these positions, and how do you resolve conflicts that this will a lot of times inevitably create within the division? Sure, sure. So <clears throat> I think that uh, we have a process uh, that we go through, and it's not unique. I'm sure other people have similar types of process. Uh, for you know having these crucial conversations, uh, and generally, you, you know, the first thing that happens is um, if we observe a behavior, or if you know there's a report on somebody that's unfavorable, we kind of you know we have we have the, the the quote cup of coffee unquote conversation with them, grab a cup of coffee and say, hey, you know, um, got this report. This just doesn't seem like you. You know, maybe you're having a bad day. Um, uh, maybe not, but you know, just 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 doesn't seem right. And see if they can explain that. And uh, and typically you end that with, well, I'm sure this is a you know, this is an abnormality, and we won't we won't see this type of behavior again. Um, recurrent uh, recurrent offenses then uh, kind of demand a more formal conversation. So I typically will bring bring those folks in and say, hey, you know, we talked about this behavior one time before. You know, we've gotten a couple couple other reports, and uh, uh, it seems like this is a problem. Uh, and uh, I'm going to give you formal notice uh, that if this were to continue, um, we may need to uh, look at a temporary uh, suspension, uh, or we may, may may need to ask you to start looking somewhere else. And then, if the behavior continues after that, we'll we'll typically. Uh, Meet uh, with our medical staff leadership and and make a recommendation, uh, either for a suspension or for a um, 
some form of uh, anger management or something like that. Most of these most of these issues tend to be uh, non-technical issues with people. They t- they don't tend to be quality. They tend to be with uh, relationships and the ability to get along with people. Uh, so a lot of times we may recommend counseling and things like that for them. Uh, that being said, that tends to be the minority. Um, uh, I've been through through all the uh the years i think i've released uh two uh two docs uh while i was division chief and two since i've been chair um going through that process uh and sometimes it's it just doesn't work out and uh we're pretty we're pretty clear with that and upfront with them uh i think again i think that's that's the key is you need to be transparent. Uh, you can't just pull them in one day and say, hey, you know, things aren't working out. You need to start looking for another job. Uh, you need to have those prior conversations with them to let them know that a problem's been identified and then to follow up with them. And uh, most of the time, after the cup of coffee conversation, everything's fine. They get it. They understand. Uh, uh, and there there tends not to be further problems. Now, what if the issue is clinical competence? How would you handle that? Is it a similar process? So if the issue is, if the issue is clinical competence, uh, we typically will do that through peer review. Okay. So, um, you know, we have a fairly aggressive uh, peer review uh, committee uh, and uh, issues, technical issues, judgment issues, uh, tend to get filtered uh, through that committee. It's, it's fairly rare that significant patient care issues don't make it to our QA uh, committee. If if uh, if we notice a trend, and we will we will review this typically when uh, when any case is made a uh, a QA case, we expect a resolution on that as to whether or not this issue that developed was acceptable, questionable, or unacceptable. And any time uh, we have questionable or unacceptable uh, determinations, we kind of do a, a quick focus review to see you know. Is there a pattern with this particular person? If there is, then again we would bring them in, and we would uh, and we and we've done this. We've said, you know, we, we've identified a pattern here. <clears throat> it seems as though, from a quality standpoint, there's some issues, and we're going to monitor you over the next six months, and we'd like you to work with your partners. Uh, most of them have partners, or if they don't, we'll we'll provide them with somebody. Uh, we'd like you to work with this person as far as uh, when you're going to operate on somebody. Let them know, uh, you know, the particular case that you're going to do, uh, and talk to them, and and, uh, and then we'll we'll monitor their their quality for. We usually do it for about six months, uh, and then meet with them again. If there's a if there's an issue, they've been notified, and we'll meet with them and say, you know, this appears to be an issue. It's not res- it's not improving. Uh, therefore, you know, we are going to uh, ask you to look elsewhere uh, for employment, uh, but recommend termination. Again, most of the time, uh, you just don't see that. Uh, if you've done, if you've done a pretty good job in your recruitment, you shouldn't see that. Um, but there are there are occasions where you have to do that. And we have, you know, we have not only our, our quality uh, council, but we've also developed a professionalism council, and uh, we will. Uh, both for behavior uh, and for some quality issues, we will have uh, have these folks meet with our our professionalism council, and that's a multidisciplinary uh, group. That's members of surgery, 
uh, as well as uh, members of leadership in the hospital. Well, in taking the 30,000-foot view, what is the main message or piece of advice that you would like to give our audience today? I think that to, to maintain a healthy, healthy division, uh, you, you need a strong leader. And I think that uh, a strong leader will, will be someone who really is looking out for uh, the good of the individual members of the division, uh, helping them grow, uh, and, uh, you know, in that way, uh, building on the division. I think um, that's, that's, that's really where it starts. It starts with your leaders uh, and their ability to uh, get folks moving, you know, in the same direction. On behalf of the East Careers and Trauma Committee, I would like to thank you, Dr. Pasquale, for taking time to speak with us today. I am Jamie Coleman, and I hope you enjoyed the program. When you find a moment of time, please visit the EAST website at www.east.org for more EAST Career podcasts and other valuable information. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, um, Mike, it's, it's Nicole. Just one question. I think that um, as a follow-up, so, you know, we're all looking for people. I think if, you know, the most common question I think most people get at a meeting is, hey, are you happy where you are? Um, how as a division chief where you know your your division members are tired, they've been, you know, overworked, et cetera, for an extended mm-hmm. period of time, and you need people, but you can't find that perfect fit. What do you do? So you're looking for a body, basically. Yeah, you need a body, or can't your other right bodies body. are going to so, destroy. So you're better off going without the body. You're better off not bringing somebody in that's not the right person because I've done it. Okay, <laughs> I've learned more from my mistakes than from my successes. Trust me. Uh, so we uh, we were at one point uh, there were four of us taking call early uh, early on. I guess I had just become division chief. Uh, our former chief had left to take another position. Uh, a guy retired and. Uh, uh, when the when the division chief left, uh, another guy left. So we were down to like four people, and we were we were working hard. And it, you know, we were like, okay, we got to get a body, got to get a body, got to get a body. We got a body. It just made things worse because it wasn't the right person. It wasn't the right person. Uh, we realized that we were much better off. Excuse me. Um, you know, we we were we were worse off when we got the body. So so I would say. Uh, don't just try to replace somebody with, with with a warm body. Get the right person. You're going to be better off. It might take you a little bit longer, but that person's out there. Uh, it might take you a little bit longer. You really need to work with your administration to ensure that you can get the resources that you need uh, to get that person, uh, pay them appropriately, get the right benefits, uh, things like that. And that will vary depending on, on who you're trying to recruit. Um, you know, right now, uh, for us to recruit uh, pediatric surgery, difficult. So we have to offer those folks a little bit more. Uh, and our administration understands that and, and does that. But, but yeah, I wouldn't settle for just a body. Are you seeing any differences in people that you're looking at that you're recruiting now than you might have, you know, five, eight, nine years ago? See, you know, with the yeah. new training paradigms. Yeah. And, because now you're going to make me sound old. You well, know no, what I mean? no, because I think that um, one of the discussions that a lot of folks were having kind of in the bathroom with the AAST this year was, you know, we hired somebody new. They seem like a good fit, but like they don't 
come in every day. They're just here when they're on call. And uh. so, so yes, the answer to that question is yes. Um, the uh, the folks that are finishing their training right now are they have they there's no doubt that they have a different work ethic. And when we talk about this, um, you know, what we say is that it appears, the perception is, and that's important, it's perception. The perception is that when people come to work, they're thinking about when are they going to go home. As opposed to before, you were thinking about, like, what you had that was going on all day long that was going to be kind of cool and things like that. I think we've we've built that into them. If you, if you, it's our fault. I mean, uh, and hour by hour, I mean, the, everybody that's enacted and followed these rules. So, you know, what's our main message? You can't work more than 80 hours a week. You have to make sure that you get out by this time and you have this many hours before you come back in. So we've substituted, we've substituted, you have to make sure that your patient's taken care of and every issue is addressed before you go home with you can only be here so long. You have to have so much time before. So we built that into them. And for us to think that they're going to finish residency and change that thought pattern is ridiculous. So you have to be accepting of the fact that this is a new group. They've been trained differently. They've been programmed differently. And you have to – this is where the leadership by example comes into comes comes into play. So if you've got your division chief who's working hard – and they look around and everybody's working hard, they're going to work hard. If you've got a group that at 3 o'clock they start looking at their watch and you're looking around the office and like no one's there and you see that if somebody's not on call you can't find them, well, then they're going to adopt that, that mentality as well. Uh, so so it is it is more of an issue. Uh, we've created the issue and now we have to deal with it. I think the issue can be overcome. There are still a number of people out there that that uh it's the majority of people that that want to do a good job and want to work hard but that example piece plays an even bigger role now uh if they see everybody in the division working hard they're going to work hard if they see everybody in the division taking it easy they're going to take it easy well thank you so much for um for taking time out of your day to to talk to us today 